The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studios, this is Bloomberg Daybreak for Friday, January 6, 2023. Coming up this hour. Kevin McCarthy's fight to become House Speaker drags into a fourth day. Wall Street braces for its biggest economic report of the new year. U.S. authorities ramp up the pressure on Sam Bankman-Fried's inner circle. And Samsung's profit falls the most in over a decade. Thousands of nurses at New York City hospitals are poised to strike on Monday. Plus, today marks the two-year anniversary of the U.S. Capitol. Riot. I'm Michael Barr. More ahead. I'm John Stashower in sports. The NFL makes a decision on the Bills-Bengals game. The Rangers won in Montreal. Losses for the Devils and Islanders. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak. On Bloomberg 1130 New York. Bloomberg 991 Washington, D.C. Bloomberg 1061 Boston. Bloomberg 960 San Francisco. Sirius XM 119. And around the world on BloombergRadio.com and via the Bloomberg Business app. Good morning. I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. And U.S. stock index futures are little change this morning. We check the markets all day long here on Bloomberg with S&P and Dow futures. Both little change. NASDAQ futures, though, dragging down a quarter percent or 28 points. Ten-year Treasury down 5.30 seconds, yield 3.73 percent. And the yield on the two-year, 4.47 percent. Nathan. Karen, we'll have more on markets and today's jobs report in just a minute. But first, we are heading into the fourth day of the new Congress, and the House remains Without one key job filled, that would be Speaker. Republican leader Kevin McCarthy is still shy of the votes needed to take the gavel, and Amy Morris has the latest from our Bloomberg 99.1 newsroom in Washington. The House adjourned last night after a historic 11th vote. About 20 Republicans still refusing to cast their ballots for McCarthy, saying they want change in Washington. McCarthy has already agreed to a rules change, allowing just one member to call for a vote to oust a sitting speaker. And he agreed to allow for more members of the Freedom Caucus to serve on the House Rules Committee. But so far, Matt Rosedale of Montana says it's not enough. We need to have change. We need to fix this broken system. Republican Congressman-elect Mike Lawler of New York says the party can't let a small group of members dictate terms for everyone else. The Freedom Caucus thought that Kevin's uh, support would start to fold, uh, and that has not happened. House lawmakers reconvene at noon today. In Washington, I'm Amy Morris, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Amy, thank you. Well, we'll be following the next round of votes throughout the day here on Bloomberg Radio. Meantime, another major event in Washington takes place at 8.30 a.m. Wall Street time. That's when the December jobs report is released. Economists forecast a gain of 202,000 jobs and an unemployment rate holding steady at 3.7 percent. Here with Morris, Bloomberg economics correspondent Michael McKee. Economists think hiring will slow dramatically and unemployment will jump higher. Just not yet. Even though the Fed has been raising rates aggressively, it hasn't slowed the economy enough to affect the labor market. Fed officials say that shows no recession is imminent. They also worry it means continued inflation pressure. There are not enough workers for open jobs, which means employers have to raise wages. That's particularly true for service industries. And that makes December service industry jobs and earnings key numbers for Fed officials as they decide how high they have to push interest rates. 
Michael McKee, Bloomberg Daybreak. And Mike, the Fed will be paying close attention to today's jobs report. St. Louis President James Bullard says interest rates are getting close to a level that could be high enough to bring down inflation. The point of this is that we've gone all the way back now to the pre uh, inflation shock uh, level of inflation expectations. Uh, macro theories tell us that that bodes very well for the future of an actual inflation. So this is a good signal for uh, disinflation in 2023. St. Louis Fed President Jim Bullard's one of the more hawkish members of the Fed, but he is not a voting member on the FOMC this year. Still, Nathan, higher interest rates are not yet having a major impact on the economy. And that's the view from Carlisle Managing Director and Head of Global Research, Jason Thomas. The the economy seems to be heading for an iceberg in in the form of higher interest rates. Uh, Those higher interest rates have really not taken effect as yet. Uh, For most borrowers, it's really the December 19th reference date. So as of Q1 2023, floating rate corporate borrowers are going to face uh, debt service costs that are about 50 to 60 percent higher higher than they experienced just six months ago. Carlisle's Jason Thomas expects the Fed to raise rates by 25 basis points at each of its next two meetings, a view that's in line with expectations on the street. Well, the prospect of higher rates, Karen, helped send stocks lower yesterday. All three major indexes lost at least 1% after hiring numbers surpassed estimates in the ADP and jobless claims reports. Sam Stovall is chief investment strategist at CFRA. It seems as if we are heading into 2023 the way a lot of strategists have been predicting, where it's going to be a a tale of two halves, where the first half is likely to be challenging with high volatility, retest of the October low, maybe even a new low set. But then investors look across the valley and we start to see a recovery in the second half. And CFRA Sam Stovall says the Fed could pivot and start cutting rates around December. Well, turning to the FTX saga now, Nathan, U.S. authorities are ramping up pressure on the inner circle of FTX co-founder Sam Bankman-Fried. And we get the latest live with Bloomberg's Steve Rappaport. Steve, good morning. Good morning, Karen and Nathan. The plot thickens as prosecutors turn their attention to another associate of Bankman-Fried. They're investigating former FTX engineering director Nishad Singh and what role, if any, he played in the crypto company's demise. Singh has not been accused of wrongdoing, and it's unclear if he's cooperating. Prosecutors already have two people from SBF's orbit in their corner. Caroline Ellison and Gary Wang pled guilty to fraud and are working with the government. The question now, will Singh also sing? Live in New York, I'm Steve Rappaport, Bloomberg Daybreak. Okay, Steve, thank you. Turning to earnings now, we got a downbeat assessment from Samsung Electronics overnight. Profit fell by the most in more than a decade in a sign that the economic slowdown may be hurting electronics demand more than expected. Samsung's operating profit plunged 69% thanks to weak demand for memory chips, smartphones, and displays. And that holiday travel meltdown is prompting Southwest Airlines to revive its financial outlook before reporting earnings. The airline canceling almost 16,000 flights over eight days around the holidays. Now Southwest says it is assessing the cost of flight disruptions and compensation to passengers for hotels and meals. Local headlines straight ahead, and this is Bloomberg. Thanks, Karen. It's 43 degrees in Central Park. Uh, could have some scattered showers this morning, but they should end by this afternoon. We'll top out near 50 degrees. Mid-30s tonight, ahead of a cooler but nice weekend. Time to look at some of the other stories making news in New York and around the world. For that, we bring in Bloomberg's Michael Barr. Happy Friday, Michael. Happy Friday to you, Nathan. Thousands of New York City nurses are poised to strike on Monday. They are protesting staffing levels they say create unsafe conditions for patients. Five institutions, including Mount Sinai Health Systems, are still in talks toward a resolution with about 10,000 members of the New York State Nurses Association. Three others have reached tentative agreements. Today it marks two years since the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. Among the victims is Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick. His longtime partner is suing former President Trump and two people in the crowd that day for his death. Today, an award will also be presented to Sicknick's family. Another officer who was at the Capitol that day was Harry Dunn, who says he suffers from PTSD. Dunn says all eyes are on the Justice Department. They're the ones who can bring forth accountability. There were criminal things that the former president has done. I don't see how you, you could not hold him accountable for that day. 
Officer Dunn's full interview will air Sunday on ABC's This Week, heard on Bloomberg. Attorney General Mary Garland says over 480 people pleaded guilty to federal charges in the riot. New evidence in the killings of four University of Idaho students has come to light. A newly released affidavit reveals police identified the suspect, 28-year-old Brian Koberger, by tracking his car on surveillance cameras. Koberger made his first court appearance in Idaho yesterday to face four charges of first-degree murder. He did not enter a plea and was ordered held without bail. Russian President Vladimir Putin's proposed 36-hour ceasefire has drawn a cold shoulder from the U.S. and Ukraine. Bloomberg said Baxter has the story. President Joe Biden says hypocrisy. I'm reluctant to respond to anything Putin says. I found it interesting. Uh, He was ready to... uh, um, bomb hospitals and nurseries and uh, um, churches. and uh... He says Putin is just trying to find some oxygen. Biden also says the U.S., Germany, and France are sending some heavy artillery to Ukraine that will arrive within months in addition to the Patriot missiles. In San Francisco, I'm Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Daybreak. Global News, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg, Nathan. Thank you, Michael. Time now for our Bloomberg Sports Update, brought to you by Tri-State Audi. For that, we bring in John Stashauer. Good morning, John. Good morning, Nathan. Three nights after the Bills and Bengals stopped playing in Cincinnati due to DeMar Hamlin going into cardiac arrest, the NFL made the decision not to resume the game. Both teams will play Sunday, finish the regular season playing 16 games with everyone else having played 17. Both teams are going to the playoffs. Both had a chance to earn the one seed and the first round bye. If Kansas City wins tomorrow, the Chiefs are assured of finishing with the best win percentage. There are reports the NFL may announce today measures to diminish the significance of that. Meanwhile, we heard yesterday for the first time from Hamlin's doctor in Cincinnati and the news from Timothy Pritz. Was terrific. We would like to share that there has been substantial improvement in his condition over the past 24 hours. Uh, we had significant concern um, about him after the injury and after the event that happened on the field, uh, but he is making substantial progress. Pritz said the first question Hamlin asked was whether the Bills had won the game. Local hockey, Rangers won 4-1 at Montreal. The Islanders lost 4-2 in Edmonton. Devils lost to St. Louis 5-3. NHL named some of the All-Stars for the game next month. One from each team in the Ranger rep. Goalie Igor Sisterkin also named the Isles. Brock Nelson and the Devils, Jack Hughes. College Hoops, Rutgers was coming off that win at top-ranked Purdue. Scarlet Knights came home and beat Maryland 64-50, to held the Terps to 17 first-half points. NBA tonight, Knicks in Toronto, Nets visit New Orleans. Second time this week, Yankees have hired a veteran baseball front office exec to assist GM Brian Cashman. First was Brian Sabian, and now former Mets GM Omar Minaya. John Stash, our Bloomberg Sports. Nathan? Thank you, John. And the Bloomberg Sports Report was brought to you by Audi. Don't let someone else drive off. In the Audi model you've always wanted, visit your local Tri-State Audi dealer to get behind the wheel of yours today or visit AudiOffers.com for more information. The latest on the speakership fight on Capitol Hill just ahead first. Futures trading flat. S&P futures up a point. Dow futures up 22. NASDAQ futures down 14 points. Ten-year Treasury yield right now, 3.73%. Live from coast to coast, from New York to San Francisco, Boston to Washington, D.C., nationwide on Sirius XM, the Bloomberg Business App, and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. Good morning. I'm Nathan Hager. While we wait for the December payrolls report on this Jobs Friday, there is still one key position on Capitol Hill that has yet to be filled. That would be Speaker of the House. We're heading into a fourth day of the 118th Congress. And at this point, it is still tough to say whether lawmakers can resolve the mismatch between Kevin McCarthy, the House GOP leader, and those 20 or so Republicans standing in the way of his gavel. Once again, we're joined by Greg Valier live this morning, Chief U.S. Policy Strategist at AGF Investments. Uh, is it starting to feel like Groundhog Day where you sit, Greg? You bet, Nathan. It's sort of like the inmates have taken over the asylum, and uh, unfortunately this could drag on for many, many more days. I think uh, you wrote a note. Uh, earlier this week talking about the extraordinary concessions that Kevin McCarthy has made to try to hold on to actually get the gavel. Are there any other concessions he can make at this point? No, there's not much else. I mean, he's a, 
agree to humiliating restraints on the role of a speaker. And the irony here, Nathan, is that moderate Republicans in the House are aghast, and they may turn against McCarthy. A lot of moderates uh, were saying late yesterday that they could never accept uh, this kind of concession. The other irony is that even with this concession, there's a hard core of four or five very uh, adamant House conservatives who would not vote for McCarthy under any circumstances. So I don't see where the concession gets him other than diminished support among moderates. Well, let's get to your first point there about moderate Republicans potentially providing a backlash against McCarthy for the concessions he's made. Uh, let me pin you down a little bit on that. Are you actually hearing from certain moderates who are saying that they may withhold or withdraw their support for McCarthy uh, as this process plays out? Not sure they're there yet. I think they would like to get some assurance that uh, this isn't as radical as it looks. But to answer your question, yes, there are some who are willing to withhold their support. If one vote, if one lone House member says, I want to try to remove the speaker, that's that's just no way to run a railroad. And when it comes to those four or five uh, seeming members who just aren't going to vote for McCarthy under any circumstance, does that lead to an opening uh, for someone else, a potential uh, alternative to step forward? There have been a lot of other names floated this week, as you know, including Jim Jordan and especially Steve Scalise. But Scalise, who is quite popular in the House, is part of the leadership. And I think those four or five holdouts probably would, would hold it against him. There are all sorts of other rumors about maybe a bipartisan deal with the Democrats, which I think is quite unlikely. Uh, maybe uh, floating the, the name of another possible candidate. Maybe changing the rule you need 218 votes maybe reducing that by having some members stay uh, off the floor. All sorts of Hail Marys, but I think the bottom line is that they're still not there, and I don't think they'll get a deal today. And we've talked before about what the potential this could mean for the debt ceiling fight later on this year, getting appropriations passed later on this year as well. If we continue to see this kind of fractiousness, we're starting to hear as well from some lawmakers who are saying this stalemate could potentially risk U.S. national security because Congress can't move until they get this matter resolved. Is is that taking things too far or is there something to that? No, there's something to that. I mean, it, it's easy to say, ah, oh, Congress doesn't matter. But no, there are things that are really important. In the short term, what if there's a foreign policy crisis that needs uh, immediate funding? What if the flooding continues in California? It's quite severe, as you know. Maybe there's a need for aid to California. Uh, in the long term, the issue is going to be budget stuff. It will be the debt ceiling. It will be a possible default crisis. These are serious issues. And if the, if the House is this neutered, uh, it's going to be difficult to deal with those issues. Does this have any implications for 2024 in terms of the politics, the way the parties are viewed after this fight? It'll be interesting to see the polls. I haven't seen any this week. I suspect it'll be sort of a pox on both your houses mentality. But in in to be realistic, I mean, this will blow up on Republicans. I think they are looking uh, pretty bad, especially compared to Nancy Pelosi, who did a pretty good job as House Speaker. So, no, I think as we go into the 2024 election, it would hurt Republicans in the House. The Senate's different. Uh, the, the seats up in the Senate favor the Republicans uh, in this cycle. But I think the House could get a major pushback from voters if this is not resolved. And we'll see if we'll be checking back with you uh, next week if this isn't resolved. Thanks, as always, for your time. Greg Valier, Chief U.S. Policy Strategist at AGF Investments. The House gets back in session once again, noon Wall Street time for day four, round 12 of voting for the Speaker of the House. S&P futures right now up three points. Dow futures up 39. NASDAQ futures down four points as investors await December payrolls. This is Bloomberg. Markets, headlines, and breaking news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business app, and at Bloomberg Quick Take. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash.
And I'm Karen Moscow. And U.S. stock index futures are little changed as traders brace for U.S. jobs numbers due later. That'll help chart the path forward for Federal Reserve monetary tightening. We check the markets all day long here on Bloomberg. S&P futures are little changed. Dow futures up a tenth of a percent or 31 points. And NASDAQ futures now little changed. Ten-year Treasury down 4.30 seconds. Yield 3.73 percent. They yield on the two-year 4.47 percent. NYMEX crude oil is up 1 percent or 74 cents at $74.41 a barrel. And the euro 1.0512 against the dollar. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Now here's Michael Barr with more on what's going on around the world. Michael, good morning. Good morning, Karen. The U.S. House reconvenes later today as the speaker fight drags into a fourth day. Kevin McCarthy is trying to strike an agreement with GOP dissidents. A major storm that slammed into California has led to flooding downed trees and power outages across the state. Doctors say DeMar Hamlin is beginning to awaken and is showing substantial improvement. The Buffalo Bills safety went into cardiac arrest during Monday night football. Doctors say Hamlin's first question was, did we win? Meanwhile, the NFL canceled the game between the Bills and Bengals. In hockey, the Devils and Islanders lost. The Rangers, Bruins, and Capitals won. In the NBA, the Celtics won. Global News, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take. Powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries, I'm Michael Barr, and this is Bloomberg. Nathan. Love to hear that from yes. Lamar Hamlin. Did we win? What a great prognosis. Thank you, Michael. It's 523 on Wall Street. I'm Nathan Hager, and this is Bloomberg Daybreak. When you hear someone say things are moving toward an iceberg, usually doesn't mean anything good. And Carlisle, head of global research, Jason Thomas, says that's where he thinks the U.S. economy is headed. Thomas expects corporations to remain under pressure as the Federal Reserve keeps hiking interest rates. Let's get the details from Jason Thomas now. He spoke with Bloomberg's David Inglis and Yvonne Mann. Can the U.S. economy avoid a recession? What do you think? Maybe, uh, but but it does seem unlikely, and, and that's really because of the the, uh, the the economy seems to be heading for an iceberg in, in the form of higher interest rates. Uh, those higher interest rates have really not taken effect as yet. Uh, for most borrowers, it's really the December 19th reference date. So as of Q1 2023, floating rate corporate borrowers are going to face uh, debt service costs that are about 50 to 60 percent higher than they experienced just six months ago. So I, I do think we're going to see uh, increased levels of financial distress uh, among speculative-grade borrowers. And, and, of course, that's going to cause a lot of management teams to, to change their behavior. Rather than a growth orientation, they're going to start to think about cost-cutting. And, and this seems to me precisely how a recession uh, gets propagated. And then, you know, you still have the likes of some Fed speakers like Esther George, you know, speaking and saying, you know, she expects the Fed fund rates to be over 5% and stay there for much of 2024. What would force the Fed to pivot then, do you think, Jason? You know, all this talk of a pivot really seems so premature, as, as you alluded. I think the, the Fed right now is very concerned that inflation is going to remain stuck uh, above 4%. Inflation has come down, obviously. Price pressures have eased. The supply chain crisis is effectively over. But you still have lots of reasons to, again, fear that that inflation is going to remain elevated relative to the 2% target. First, you have wage growth. Uh, at low skill levels, there, there is still significant labor shortages. Low skill levels, uh, earnings are growing at about a 7% annualized rate. Overall wage growth, again, consistent with you know, roughly 4% inflation. And then I think most consequentially, you still have management teams that got a taste for pushing price through over the past couple of years and are still looking to increase prices where possible. And I think really the only way for the Fed to deter those additional rounds of price increases is to impress upon management teams that those price increases are going to result in lost sales or lost market share. And, and again, the only way to do that is to further restrain demand. So on the whole, yes, I, I do expect another... 25 basis points at the, the February 1st meeting, perhaps another 25 basis points thereafter. But that it, policy rate, five, five and a quarter percent perhaps, is going to be sustained into 2024. And I think that's where markets are going to be very surprised, that that could mean some additional upside for the dollar uh, in the near term. But then also, again, more financial distress among speculative-grade borrowers as they're forced to pay these higher floating rate interest costs for, for, for a longer period than they anticipate. 
And that's the head of global research at the Carlyle Group, Jason Thomas, speaking with Bloomberg's David Inglace and Yvonne Mann. You can catch that full conversation on Bloomberg.com and always on the Bloomberg Terminal. S&P futures right now up one point ahead of December jobs. Dow futures up 21. NASDAQ futures down nine points. Ten-year treasuries down five thirty seconds. The yield 3.73%. Yield on the two-year 4.47%. NYMEX crude's up nine-tenths percent at $74.35 a barrel. Uh, COMEX gold is little change down 90 cents, $18.39.70 an ounce. Up next, the latest on Kevin McCarthy's seemingly unending bid to be House Speaker, plus what to expect from the December payrolls report. That's coming up in 30 seconds. First, a look at your Bloomberg weather forecast. Scattered showers across the tri-state area today. They'll be tapering off this afternoon. We'll find temperatures between 45 and 50 later today. It'll become partly cloudy overnight, low of 35 downtown, 20s in the suburbs. Partial sunshine for tomorrow, highs near 45. It'll be clear 30 to 35 tomorrow night. Sunday, morning sun, afternoon clouds, and a high of 40 to 45. I'm Rob Carrollin with your three-day forecast on Bloomberg 1130. Broadcasting live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio in New York. Bloomberg 1130. To Washington, D.C. Bloomberg 991. To Boston. Bloomberg 1061. To San Francisco. Bloomberg 960. To the country. Sirius XM Channel 119. And around the globe. The Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. It's coming up to 5.30 on Wall Street. Good morning. I'm Karen Moscow. I'm Nathan Hager. And Bloomberg Daybreak is brought to you by Innovation Refunds. To see if your small or medium-sized business could be missing out on an opportunity. Was your business impacted by COVID-19 in 2020 or 2021? It may qualify for the employee retention credit. The professionals at Innovation Refunds can help your business recover from the pandemic. See how much could be waiting for your business at GetRefunds.com. And we're nearly four hours away from the open of U.S. trading. Let's get you up to date on the news you need to know at this hour. We begin in Washington, where 11 rounds of voting have failed to elect a House Speaker. Republican leader Kevin McCarthy is still shy of the votes he needs. Former New York Congressman and Democratic Caucus Chair Joe Crowley says the process is reflecting poorly on Republicans. What it really is demonstrating is the dysfunctionality of the Republican conference. The second anniversary of January 6th, you now have members of the Republican conference who actually supported that event. I don't think this is a visual that the Republicans really want, but it seems it's one they're going to get. Former Congressman Joe Crowley was a guest on Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. Catch the show weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio. Well, Karen, investors have their eyes on D.C. this morning with the Labor Department set to release December jobs report about three hours from now. Stay with us for complete coverage of the report, followed by an interview with Labor Secretary Marty Walsh. That's coming up around 9.45 a.m. Wall Street time. Well, Nathan, a jobs report won't fully reveal how interest rates are impacting the labor market, but Carlisle head of global research Jason Thomas says investors need to gear up for some economic pain on the horizon. Higher interest rates have really not taken effect as yet. We're going to see uh, increased levels of financial distress. And, of course, that's going to cause a lot of management teams to, to change their behavior. They're going to start to think about cost cutting. Carlisle's Jason Thomas says he expects the Fed to raise rates 25 basis points at each of its next two meetings. And as rates climb, Karen, St. Louis Fed President James Bullard says they're approaching a level that could reduce inflation. Uh, Speaking yesterday, Bullard stopped short of indicating how high he wants rates to go. Right now, markets are pricing at a peak Fed funds rate of 5% this summer. Well, let's turn to the FTX saga now, Nathan. U.S. authorities are ramping up pressure on the inner circle of FTX co-founder Sam Bankman-Fried. And Bloomberg Steve Rappaport joins us live with that story. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Karen and Nathan. A new name emerges in the case against SBF. Prosecutors are focusing on former FTX engineering director Nishad Singh. He's not accused of wrongdoing at this time, but if authorities determine Singh played a role in the collapse of the company, a person familiar with the matter says he could be charged later this month. Prosecutors already secured plea deals with two other associates of Bankman-Fried. He pled guilty this week, to, or not guilty rather, to eight federal counts and will stand trial in October. Live in New York, I'm Steve Rappaport, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Steve, thank you. And again, futures are little changed this morning. Straight ahead, your latest local headlines, plus a check of sports. And this is Bloomberg. 
Thanks, Karen. It's 531 on Wall Street, and Michael Barr is here with more on what's going on in New York and around the world. Michael? Thank you very much, Nathan. Time is running out to avoid a possible nurses' strike at several New York City hospitals. Members of the New York State Nurses Association say about 10,000 members are ready to walk out on Monday. Nurses say staffing levels have created unsafe conditions for patients. Five institutions, including Mount Sinai Health System, are still in talks toward a resolution. Three others have reached tentative agreements. President Biden will mark the second anniversary of the January 6th insurrection with a ceremony today at the White House. Biden will present the Presidential Civilian Award to police officers who served on that day. One of those officers is Capitol Police Officer Harry Dunn, who says he suffers from PTSD. Man, I thought I had this under control. I beat this. But no, it literally just came out of nowhere, and it it broke me. Officer Dunn's full interview will air Sunday on ABC's This Week, heard on Bloomberg. Meanwhile, former President Donald Trump is being blamed for the death of Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick, who was assaulted during the Capitol riot. It's in a lawsuit from Sicknick's longtime partner that claims Trump is responsible because he riled up his supporters with false election claims and calls to take action. Vladimir Putin's proposed 36-hour ceasefire in Ukraine has drawn a cold shoulder from the U.S. President Biden calls it hypocrisy. I'm reluctant to respond to anything Putin says. I found it interesting. Uh, He was ready to uh, um, bomb hospitals and nurseries and... uh, um, churches and uh, the, on the 25th and New Year's. And I mean, you know, I, I, I think he's trying to find some oxygen. President Biden spoke after delivering remarks on immigration yesterday. Global News, 24 hours a day, on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts from more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg, Nathan. Thank you, Michael. 5.33 on Wall Street. Time for the Bloomberg Sports Update brought to you by Tri-State. Out of here is John Stanshaw. Thanks, Nathan. Great news from DeMar Hamlin's doctors in Cincinnati. The Buffalo Bills safety showing, quote, remarkable ahead-of-schedule improvements said to be neurologically intact and responsive. Bills quarterback Josh Allen met the media in Buffalo and for the first time was asked what it was like being on the field this past Monday. You can never put yourself in that situation until it happens. Um, I want to thank our, you know, Coach mentioned it earlier, but our training staff for going out there not knowing what's going on but going through a checklist working as a single cell symbiote like saving his life hamlin's doctor said his first question was whether the bills had won the game as it turns out no one did the game was of course stopped and the nfl announced it will not be resumed the game had significance in afc playoff seating there are reports the nfl is considering some changes in light of that. Regular season and Sunday, last game for the Jets, limping to the finish with a five-game losing streak. They visit Miami, who has also lost five in a row, but the Dolphins can make the playoffs with a win and a New England loss in Buffalo. The Giants locked into the sixth seed, so their game in Philadelphia meaningless for them. Coach Brian Dayball has refused to say whether that means he'll sit out guys like Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. It's a huge game for the Eagles. They've lost their last two. They need a win to gain the NFC's one seed, or they could be the five seed. Rangers won four 4-1 at Montreal. Losses for both the Devils and Islanders. John Stashauer, Bloomberg Sports. Nathan? All right, John. Thank you. And the Bloomberg Sports Report was brought to you by Audi. Don't let someone else drive off in the Audi model you've always wanted. Visit your local Tri-State Audi dealer to get behind the wheel of yours today or visit AudiOffers.com for more information. S&P futures up a point right now. Dow futures up 19. NASDAQ futures are lower by 12 points. Ten-year Treasury yield 3.73%. 533, uh, 5.35, I should say, on Wall Street. It's time for the Tri-State Business Report. For that, we bring in Bloomberg's Ed Corey. New Jersey has taken in $31 billion in sports bets just four years after it became legal. The Post reports that's the most of any state in the country for that time period. But Jersey's lead is dwindling fast. New Yorkers are showing interest in sports gambling. In 2022, more than $14 billion in bets were made in that state. The new $2 billion Terminal A at Newark Liberty Airport opens next Thursday. The new terminal was originally supposed to welcome flyers December 8th, but the opening was delayed last month due to last-minute issues identified in the facility's fire alarm and security systems. New York Governor Kathy Hochul has signed a bill into law that would ban PFAS in clothing by the end of the year. The chemicals are a known endocrine disruptor prevalent in clothing and other everyday aspects of life, from takeout containers to nonstick cookware. 
That's your Bloomberg Tri-State Business Report. I'm Ed Corey. Thank you, Ed. It's 536 on Wall Street. The following is an editorial from Bloomberg Opinion. This editorial was written by the Bloomberg Editorial Board. Say this for the new Republicans in Congress. They made history. Now they need to start making an agenda. This week, a handful of far-right House Republicans revolted against the party's leading candidate for Speaker, Kevin McCarthy, denying him the majority he needed to win. It was the first time in a century that House lawmakers failed to elect a Speaker on the first ballot. The House can't take up business without a Speaker, which means a small group of right-wing extremists is holding Congress hostage. This is what happens when a political party effectively ignores public policy. After a campaign that emphasized culture war issues over an actual governing agenda, House Republicans have found themselves in power without a plan. This editorial was written by the Bloomberg Editorial Board. For more Bloomberg Opinion, please go to Bloomberg.com opinion or OPIN Go on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg Opinion. And you can hear Bloomberg Opinion editorials every weekday at this time. Terminal customers can read more at OPIN Go. In corporate news this morning, Tesla has made another round of price cuts on its Model 3 and Model Y electric vehicles in China. The starting price for a locally built Model Y SUV has been slashed to $38,000. That is 43% cheaper than you can find it in the U.S. Tesla's been cutting prices as it faces renewed competition in China. Stay with us. We'll get you a preview of the December payrolls report, what it could mean for the path ahead for Federal Reserve policy. Drew Mattis, chief investment strategist at MetLife Investment Management, joins us on this Jobs Friday. In the minutes ahead... You're listening to Bloomberg Daybreak. Good morning. Markets, headlines, and breaking news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business App, and at Bloomberg Quick Take. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. I'm Karen Moscow. European shares and Wall Street futures are struggling to maintain gains as traders brace for U.S. jobs numbers that are due later this morning that will help chart the path forward for Federal Reserve monetary tightening. We check the markets all day long here on Bloomberg. S&P futures, little change. Dow futures up a tenth of a percent or 33 points. And NASDAQ futures are little change. Well, the DAX in Germany also little change. Ten-year Treasury down 3.30 seconds, yield 3.72 percent. The yield on the two-year, 4.47 percent. NYMEX crude oil is up 7 tenths percent or 53 cents at $74.21 a barrel. COMEX gold that'll change at 1840.70 an ounce. The euro 1.0512 against the dollar. British pound 1.1856. The yen 134.29. And bitcoins down 3 tenths of a percent. It's at about $16,790. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Now here's Michael Barr with more on what's going on around the world. Michael. Karen, the House returns today to try again to end the stalemate over choosing a new speaker after days of voting with no conclusion. Party leader Kevin McCarthy is determined to win over enough fellow Republicans and has offered the conservative holdouts rule changes to give them more power. Several days after he went into cardiac arrest, doctors say Bill Safety, Damar Hamlin, is beginning to awaken and is showing substantial improvement. Doctors say Hamlin's first question was, did we win? Meanwhile, the NFL canceled the game between the Bills and Bengals. In hockey, the Devils and Islanders lost. The Rangers, Bruins, and Capitals won. In the NBA, the Celtics won. Global News, 24 hours a day, on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take. Powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Bard. This is Bloomberg Nathan. All right, Michael. Thank you. It is 542 on Wall Street. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. I'm Nathan Hager, along with Karen Moscow, taking a look at some other stories making news this morning, including a development in the world of professional wrestling. Vince McMahon, controlling shareholder at World Wrestling Entertainment, is looking back or to get back into the day-to-day running of the company. McMahon's proposing to put himself and two other executives back on the WWE board. And Bloomberg's Charlie Pellet has more. 
In a statement, McMahon, who retired last year amid allegations of sexual misconduct, is seeking to return to WWE as chairman. He's also nominating former executives George Barrios and Michelle Wilson to the board and is seeking a strategic review of the business. The executive who ran the wrestling giant for decades said that with its TV rights coming up for renewal, it's a good time to review the company's options. In New York, Charlie Pellet. Bloomberg Daybreak. Thank you. Well, here's an ominous sign for consumers. More Americans are turning to credit cards to pay everyday expenses. According to the Census Bureau, more than 35% of households use credit cards or loans in December to cover spending needs. That's up from a 21% reading just 18 months ago. It's a sign that households hit hard by inflation are finding their regular income is not enough to make ends meet. Meanwhile, while we wait for the December jobs report, it turns out a typical 9 to 5 job is not so typical anymore. New data from the International Labor Organization shows more than half the global workforce either works too much or too little. The report shows the average work week runs about 43.9 hours. At the same time, about a third of employees have a work week of more than 48 hours, while a fifth work part-time or less than 35 hours a week, Nathan. No, it sets up, uh, us up very nicely for what we're going to get when it comes to the health of the overall labor market. We're about to get our final glimpse at what jobs look like in 2022 when the Labor Department releases December payrolls in just about, oh, two hours and 45 minutes now. Let's bring in Drew Mattis, Chief Market Strategist at MetLife Investment Management. Drew, good morning. What's the trajectory you see for job growth? Well, I'm not too far off from where the consensus is for this month's job growth numbers, uh, but I think you know, the most that story is the perfect story uh, for where I think the important uh, area to look at lies, which is how much are these people who are hired being being worked? Right. Um, what we really what I'm really cautious about looking at is that hours work number, because I think what may be happening is firms are hiring people that maybe they don't necessarily need. Uh, because it's been so difficult to hire people for such a long period of time. So when someone becomes available, they hire them, uh, and then they don't work them as much as, as maybe they would work other workers, and that work week number begins to decline. And I think that's what we're likely to see this this month, is that we'll get a pretty good jobs number, but maybe the work week is a little on the soft side. But at the same time, we keep hearing, Drew, about uh, pretty high-profile job cuts in the, the financial sector, the tech sector as well. And it's starting to raise the question about whether some of those laid-off workers are going to be matched into the jobs that are still available. Are we still expecting to see uh, something of a mismatch there when it comes to job openings and labor force participation? Well, I, I think you might. And I also think that, you know, one of the things to look at, particularly in a December payroll number, is you don't really want to look too hard at retail and you don't really want to look too hard at things like construction, right? Because there's not a lot of construction going on in the winter. Uh, and so you you really, I, I mean, not that there's got to be a core to every economics uh, report out there, but you do want to exclude the ones that are that are more likely to be a seasonal factor adjustment rather than kind of a, a true job gain, um, and and look beyond that to kind of things like the manufacturing sector and, and likewise to see what the job growth looks like. And I think there the job growth will be okay. Um, where I think it'll turn is actually next next quarter because a lot of companies do planning processes in the fourth quarter and then execute on them in the first quarter and that includes planning for things like jobs sounds like we may have lost you there jury you still with us uh, I am. Okay. I am. Can you hear me? Right, yes. So I, it, it includes planning for things like jobs, job cuts, uh, whether or not they're going to hire people. Um, you know, so the, the plan that they're going to execute, they're putting in place now, they'll execute it, or they put in place in the fourth quarter and they'll execute it over the course of the next year. And that means if there's going to be a turn in the jobs numbers, it's going to come with the reports out in, let's say, March and April that come out for February and March. Okay, so when we start to see that execution take place, what's the implication on what we could see in terms of wage growth? Are we still expecting that we're going to see the kind of wage pressures that the Fed doesn't want to see and that could potentially keep rates moving higher? 
Well, yes, I think, you know, the, the prospects for decent wage gains are, are likely, but, you know, they are heavily concentrated in kind of lower wage industries. So, you know, as we start the new year, we're going to see things like new minimum wages going, you know, minimum wages going up in a number of states. That'll have an effect on things. And we also have to bear in mind, you know, once again, a lot of the wage gains are not coming from kind of like the middle, upper middle class. They're coming from workers who are working closer to the minimum wage boundary. Uh, and while that may be a good thing from a societal standpoint, um, it's important to bear in mind, it's not really doing a lot for kind of the, the higher income tiers that are also struggling with inflation in order to maintain their standard of living. Is there a point that the unemployment rate needs to get to in order for the Fed to consider pivoting? Is there a correlation there? Uh, I'm not sure if there's a correlation, but they basically pointed to it in their last set of economic projections. Um well, uh, let, let me turn it around. There's a level of inflation they'll tolerate before they start cutting interest rates. Um, and th- that level is not 2%. You know, in the summary of economic projections, they're cutting interest rates when inflation is still well above 2%. Um, and so that tells you that the toleration level, given their unemployment forecasts in the mid-fours, is probably more predicated on how fast unemployment moves rather than a, than a point level. Our last 30 seconds here, Drew, is the December report uh, a pivot point for the Fed when it comes to deciding what level of an interest rate hike we could see next month? Uh, it's one of the last data points. So it's going to be this and, and the inflation numbers um, and, uh, you know, maybe even the retail sales numbers because, you know, we, we keep waiting for the consumer to drop off. Data dependence, always the way for this Federal Reserve. Thank you, as always. Drew Mattis joining us on this Jobs Friday, Chief Market Strategist at MetLife Investment Management. Again, will the numbers come out 8.30 Wall Street time. We will have full coverage for you ahead of a conversation with Labor Secretary Marty Wall. She'll be joining us on Bloomberg Radio and Television. Uh, tune back in for that conversation. It's set for around 9.45 Wall Street time, about an hour after the uh, payrolls print comes out. S&P futures right now up three points. Dow futures up 40. NASDAQ futures down eight points. This is Bloomberg. Markets, headlines, and breaking news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business app, and at Bloomberg Quick Take. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. S&P futures, little changed on this jobs day. And we check the markets all day long here on Bloomberg. Again, S&P futures, it'll change. Dow futures up a tenth of a percent or 33 points. And NASDAQ futures down two tenths of a percent or 20 points. And the 10-year treasury down 4.30 seconds, yield 3.73%. They yield on the two-year 4.47%. NYMEX crude oil is up seven tenths percent or 49 cents at $74.16 a barrel. And COMEX gold up a tenth of a percent, up a dollar seventy. At 1842.30 an ounce. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Nathan. Karen, thank you. We're coming up on 556 on Wall Street. Time now for our daily Bloomberg Law Brief, exploring legal issues in the news. And today we focus on the big name elite law firm Proskauer Rose. The company is suing its former chief operating officer, Jonathan O'Brien, accusing him of swiping more than 34 gigabytes of sensitive confidential documents, including electronic files related to the firm's financials, practice information and billing rates. A federal judge in Manhattan's given O'Brien till five o'clock this afternoon to return any proprietary or confidential information. O'Brien denies the allegations through his attorney. For more on the case, Bloomberg's June Grosso speaks with attorney Jeff Lewis of Jeff Lewis Law. Proskauer, which is nearing its 150th anniversary, said the firm is unaware of any employee, much less an officer, ever acting in such a corrupt, debased, and illegal manner. Have you heard of anything like this at any other law firm? No, I've handled trade secrets litigation cases, not in the law firm context, where this kind of thing happens. Uh, a disgruntled employee goes to work for a competitor, but I've never read such a high-level employee of a big law firm doing this. In the complaint, Proskauer calls him a crafty plotter and describes his steel list. From your look at it, has he allegedly taken information that's very important to the firm that would be something considered like trade secrets? Absolutely. It's one thing for an employee to leave one firm and work for another. The things that reside in an employee's head 
stay in his head, and that's not a protectable trade secret. But when you take a thumb drive and you bypass security and you download compensation of various partners or how various practice areas are doing within a firm, you're giving a playbook to a competitor who could use that to strategize about how to pick off or take practice areas, clients, or partners or associates from a competing law firm. Can you tell from the papers if any client information was accessed? It's pretty clear that client information was not accessed. But I'll tell you one thing that I found interesting. There's a suggestion there, an accusation, that he lifted a litigation hold and caused thousands of his emails to be deleted. And if true, there may be some loss there of client-related data. So forgetting what he put in his pocket in terms of what the firm lost access to, there's a lot of emails with pending litigation that will never see the light of day because of what this guy did. Proskauer is this billion-dollar law firm, and, you know, it's got a great yeah. name. And what kind of a hit does it take to its reputation from something like this? Well, think about this. If you're a client and you're relying on this law firm to protect your secrets, if they can't keep their own house in order and keep their own secret secret, and one major security measure can be overturned with one person's directive to an IT person, clients might become doubtful of that firm's ability to safeguard client data, and employees and partners of that firm may have concerns about the leadership and security of their files and whether or not their house is being run in an appropriate fashion. That's attorney Jeff Lewis speaking with Bloomberg's June Grosso. Catch more of that interview plus analysis of the latest legal news by subscribing to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can download the show uh, by going over to Bloomberg.com slash podcast. And attorneys can find exceptional legal research and business development tools at BloombergLaw.com and on the Bloomberg Terminal at BLawGo. Futures flat on this Jobs Friday. Up next, we head to day four of Kevin McCarthy's speakership fight and countdown to December payrolls. Hour two of Bloomberg Daybreak starts right now. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams-Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.